thank you, Dave. Thank you, Dave and Rosemary for um, the readings. Now, um, just about nine or ten days ago, I was looking at our bookshelf. I was just putting a few books away and, and tidying a few up. And I came across a book that I hadn't opened. I couldn't tell you what I'd opened in a long time. It was this one. It's a commentary on the, the Gospel of Luke. And I opened it up, just flicking through it. And a passage, a page came to my attention uh, and I read one or two sentences. And after I read those one or two sentences, I had to go then on a hunt um, through the house for various Bibles, for the one that I use for my devotionals, for my study Bible. I had to look online, had a real um, <laughs> hankering to, to really dig into the passage that this, this bit looked at. You see, um, now often if I'm preaching, I don't really have a clue until a couple of days beforehand what God wants me to preach on. Sometimes I have a feeling, you know, about what he wants to preach on. Occasionally, I'm sure he wants me to preach on a passage. And I think this might be the first time I've ever pretty much been knocked on the head and told this is the passage that you're going to preach on. Um, which is why um, I'm preaching on a passage which we more traditionally associate with Easter. Um, the road to Emmaus is usually a, a, a passage that I've heard preached on in churches around about Easter time in the Sundays after Resurrection Sunday. But I want to, to, to preach on that today. Um, now, it's, it's an interesting part of Luke's gospel. Um, it's a nice literary thing as well, because Luke um, starts his gospel um, pretty much chapter two you see the story of mary and joseph frantically searching for jesus for three days in and around jerusalem and in chapter 24 the last chapter of luke's gospel here we see a couple of people who spent three days in jerusalem trying to find jesus they've been wondering where he is where's he gone where are we going to find him they can't find him instead of um mary and joseph walked back into jerusalem these guys are walking away um and it's sort of like a, a literary device that he uses but this story that Luke gives is probably uh, a, a recounting of an eyewitness account. Um, the way Luke writes his gospel and the way Luke writes the book of Acts, it's obvious that he was a, a very good historian. He had access to a lot of sources. We are fairly sure he spoke to most of the apostles. He most certainly spoke to Mary, Jesus' mum. And there's no reason to assume that he didn't speak to Cleopas and the other um person who was on the, the road with him okay now I preached last year on um, how well John knew Jesus and and I brought up Cleopas in there there's there's a good there's a good indication that the same Cleopas of Luke 24 is the one that's mentioned as Mary's husband different Mary in John chapter 19 there's a good chance that um, the man that they are that mentions in this chapter Cleopas is good chance he was Jesus' uncle. Um, there's some contention as to whether that's on Joseph's side or Mary's side. Um, but regardless, what I found remarkable at the start, the very start of this story, is that these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, who, whomever they are, whether they're Jesus' uncle, they're not really famous disciples. We don't know who they are. They're not members of the Twelve. You know, um, they're simply some of Jesus' ordinary followers, the ones who've been with him for um a couple of years now the lowly and that was the first remarkable thing that when jesus comes out of the grave some of the first people that he reveals himself to are the lowly 
the ordinary disciples. Well, lots of other religions may have had their founder, if this had happened, they would come and speak to, to the important people. But no, Jesus goes to the lowly to start. But I'm going to try and stick as close to the text as possible and try not to be too um, sort of on too many tangents because that's you know what Jesus himself does. We see later he expounds the scripture to him, right? to them so there they are they're walking down the road to Emmaus it's about seven miles away from Jerusalem they're despondent they're worried there's a good chance they probably thought this man was a spy they don't recognize him who sort of comes up to someone on a long dusty road and says oh yeah what are you talking about you know you would naturally feel suspicious but even though they're despondent they cannot help but talk about everything that they've seen recently they've seen so much stuff they'd witnessed so many remarkable scenes they were probably there just a week before when they'd seen jesus come into jerusalem on on the donkey on the in his triumphant entry they'd probably been with jesus during some of his times in the temple that week they may have been witness to some parts of the trial of jesus they may have been with peter outside uh, the house of caiaphas they may have seen the crucifixion they had seen such remarkable um scenes and despite their pain and their upset and their confusion because remember these are people who thought jesus would be back they thought jesus wouldn't you know where's jesus they didn't expect him to die their confusion they still talk about him and jesus comes and listens and when i was reading through the commentaries i came across a, a lovely quote from sturgeon uh, Spurgeon sorry not Sturgeon <laughs> different one there uh, a lovely quote from Charles Spurgeon who says talk of him and you will soon talk with him and that's what they were doing they were talking about Jesus they were discussing Jesus they were talking about what had happened and what he was going to do so Jesus comes up and initiates a conversation with these two now clearly Jesus knows what they were talking about you know, this is Jesus, he's coming up, he knows what they're talking about. And this is this is something which anyone who, who as it, I'm sure I've said this to many of you, one of the things I, I don't understand about us as Christians, about us as a wider church, how often do we assume that when we're talking, he's not listening? You know, we sit around in a prayer meeting and we say, right, I'd like to pray for this. And yeah, we really need that. And God needs to help with this and all that sort of stuff. And then when we finish spending 10 minutes talking about what we want to pray for, we then say, right, let's pray. As if God wasn't listening to those first 10 minutes. As if we sort of hidden him outside the door and said, right, Jesus, in you come. Now we're going to talk to you formally. But anyway, that's besides the point. And hopefully that's my, my last digression there. So Jesus asked them what they're talking about. And they say, are you the only one who doesn't know what's been going on? Do you not know these things? <laughs> Jesus says, what things? And then we get to see what's been going through the minds of these disciples. They burst out with what they'd been hoping. They knew who Jesus was. They knew he was a prophet. They knew he was mighty in word and deed. They knew he'd been crucified. They had hoped that he was going to redeem Israel. They had heard that some women and some of the twelve had been to the grave, but they discounted this. They didn't believe this. They hadn't seen him themselves. And they didn't believe that he was back from the dead. 
They weren't sure. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus calls them foolish. Jesus, with these two on the road to Emmaus and later with, with Thomas, he wants them to believe without having seen the physical evidence. You see, that's the challenge, the first challenge for us today. We're not going to see the resurrected Jesus until that day when we're in heaven. Okay? We have to base our faith on the fact that we believe that Jesus is risen from the dead without having seen that. As uh, Luke records in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Jesus is gone into heaven. He is there now. We're not going to see him. Can we believe in a resurrected Christ without seeing this is a challenge for Christians and has been a challenge for Christians since the last of the apostles died. Since the last of the witnesses to the resurrection died. But there's more to it than just this. Jesus wants these two to realise that they've misunderstood what was supposed to happen. They had their ideas and their hopes, but their ideas and their hopes had been misapplied. They misunderstood the crucifixion. And I'm sure there were some of you trying to work out the link between Psalm 22 and Luke 24. They are very different readings. Um, but see, I wanted to get a, a passage in about the crucifixion, as we'll see in a little while, because they'd misunderstood it. They had seen their hopes dashed on the cross. The cross ended their hope, but they'd failed to see the importance of it. They thought that Jesus was going to lead them on a new exodus away from the slavery of the Roman Empire into a new promised land. They thought they were going to leave their new Egypt and go into a new promised land. But they hadn't understood the message of Isaiah chapter 50 verses 5 to 7, Isaiah chapter 53 verses 3 to 5, Daniel 9 26, Zechariah 12 10 and many other prophecies of the crucifixion. Um, now I've got a lot of Bible references in here. I'm happy to send out later a list of all of them. Uh, I've got them highlighted in red on my screen. But they didn't understand these passages. They didn't understand that these passages I just quoted or named there, they told of the suffering that the Messiah would have to go through. So it's at this point in the story that Jesus takes them on a journey through the Old Testament. Now, this is one of the places in the Bible I wish I could go back and just stand there and listen to. Yes, I'd love to hear the Sermon on the Mount or any of Jesus' parables. But what a Bible study this must have been. Jesus takes them through a, on a journey through the Old Testament. The text says that he expounded the scriptures. Now, the Greek for expounded is diamenuo, which has a root meaning of sticking closely to the text. Jesus was not just using a few proof texts, a few verses here and there plucking them out to support his view he was going through the whole of their scriptures showing them how it all led to him it was all about him so what did they find out what did this dive into the word of god show them jesus bible study showed them that jesus was the seed of the woman whose heel was bruised in genesis chapter 3 the blessing of Abraham to all the nations in Genesis 12, the high priest 
after the awe of Melchizedek in Genesis 14, Psalm 110 or Hebrews chapter 7, the man who wrestled with Jacob in Genesis 32, the Lion of Judah, from Revelation, the voice of the burning bush from Exodus 3, the Passover lamb from Exodus 12, the prophet greater than Moses from Deuteronomy chapter 18, the captain of the Lord's army from Joshua 5, the ultimate kinsman redeemer from Ruth, the son of David who was greater than David himself from Psalm 110, the suffering saviour of Psalm 22, the wisdom of Proverbs, the lover of the Song of Solomons, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, and the princely Messiah of Daniel who would usher in an everlasting kingdom from Daniel chapter 2. And more. You see, we don't need to use anything else. The word itself is enough to prove who Jesus is. Scripture points the way to Christ. It is all about him. The whole of scripture that Jesus and Cleopas and Mary, Cleopas's wife, I'm going to assume was the other disciple there, that everything they'd grown up listening to, from Genesis to Chronicles, which they had a different order for their books, the whole of their scripture was all about Jesus, all about the Messiah, and all about the fact that the Messiah must die and come back to life in order to bring about um, God's ultimate redemption. So after this Bible study, they get to Emmaus and Jesus says, oh, I'm going on. I'm not stopping here. I'm going on to, to whatever the next village is. What do they do? The word translated by many Bibles is, as urged can also mean constrained. They literally would have grabbed him, grabbed his arm. No, 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 don't go. Don't come with us. Stay, have something to eat. Come and talk to us because they had enjoyed this. Even though they didn't know who he was yet, he had taken them on such a great Bible study and such a great, He'd been such a great teacher that he wanted to spend more time with them, with him. He had just made them see their whole scripture in a different light. Their worldview, their understanding of, of what God had taught the, their people for generation upon generation had just been opened up to them in a brand new way. And they want to have more time with him. <clears throat> So they get to their home and they break bread. Now, this was probably not a reenactment of the Last Supper. Often I've heard this preached about, oh, you know, it's about the Last Supper. And so they, these two weren't at the Last Supper. They wouldn't have known necessarily what had gone on too much at the Last Supper. I can't imagine that James and John and Peter and the others had said on that Friday and the Saturday, well, let's tell you about Thursday night. You know, I don't imagine it's not about that. Instead... In the words of one commentator, it was a frugal supper in a village home of two tired travellers. Yet it was then, in the breaking of bread, not in any visions of resurrection splendour, that they knew their companion was the Lord. <clears throat> in this simple act, the sharing of a meagre meal, their eyes were opened and their hearts began to burn. It might have been in the way he acted. They may have seen him give thanks and break bread before. Perhaps they were there when he fed the 5,000 um, that the children at church told us about last week. Perhaps they were there in other times when, when they broke bread together. It may have been the pierced hands which gave him away. But that's not important. It doesn't matter how they saw or why they saw that it was Jesus. What matters most is that they recognised Christ was in their midst. 
And we need to be ready as Christians to face the fact that Jesus might be with us whenever and wherever we are. Not in a scary, ooh, he's watching your way. But in a way that we can have our eyes opened and we can say, Jesus was in our midst all along. As soon as their eyes are opened, <coughs> he disappears. And they turn to each other amazed and they say we're not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us even after he left he's left them with something that they can fellowship over a shared experience they have burning hearts <laughs> a burning heart is a sign that god has been ministering in your life it's a sign that you have been speaking with or been spoken to by god and it cannot be ignored it's a sign that God has been teaching you something. It's a sign that God wants us to do something or to know something. So a question that certainly I'm going to take away from this is, what's, what are our hearts burning for? Pray about it. Talk to him about it. Ask God to open your eyes as well as set your heart on fire so that you can see what it is he wants you to do. So what did they do? They'd already walked seven miles that day, but then they headed straight back to Jerusalem. That's 14 miles in a day. I imagine them being a little bit quicker going back than they were to get there. They went straight to the apostles. They told them they had proof that the Messiah was alive. And I wonder if any of the apostles thought of that verse from Isaiah 52, which says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. These despondent, hopeless, confused individuals go, they have a Bible study, they break some bread, they have their eyes open and their hearts set on fire, and then they go all the way back to Jerusalem, the place they've just left to share the good news that Jesus is alive. For me, there's two parts of this passage which, which resonate. The Bible study which Jesus led resonates with me. Because we're invited to meet Jesus in Scripture. Careful study of the Word is meant to set our hearts burning. We're meant to read the Scripture to see what God wants to say to us through that. Only when we see that Jesus is the climax of the Old Testament and the climax of all Scripture, not just in a few carefully picked verses, to support our own preconceived ideas but that he's woven through all of it will we truly know who he is and will our hearts truly burn for him and what he wants us to do but the second part that resonates for me we're also invited to meet jesus through the breaking of bread in this passage saint luke is pointing us towards the future <clears throat> where that simple act the breaking of bread will be the foundational action of our church. And I don't just mean the mustard seed here. It is the foundational act of Christianity. This simple act is what we put at the heart of our times together. When I led a service for the first time at the mustard seed and I said to Robert, what do we do? What do I do? And he said, totally up to you. It's your show. The only thing is that we must have communion. Last week, Alan mentioned just how rare that is that we have communion all the time. Not many churches do it. 
But the two go together, scripture and sacrament, word and meal. Without a deep study and understanding and love of scripture and how it points to Jesus, the breaking of bread is pretty much just a magic trick. But without the breaking of bread, the study of scripture is just an intellectual exercise. The two go together, scripture and sacrament, word and meal. Putting them together is the key. Luke records in Acts 2, the end of Acts 2, the apostles knew this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Word and meal, scripture and sacrament. They are at the heart. You can have them separate, but you have to work them together to get the most out of it. One last point I want to make before I finish. Cleopas and Mary had lost hope. They had hoped that Jesus would bring them out of a, bring about a new exodus. But as Jesus showed them, as I said earlier, they'd gotten it wrong. And at the start, I mentioned how Luke sandwiches his gospel between these two stories of two couples, Mary and Joseph, Cleopas and the other disciple at the end of his gospel. But in a way, the whole Bible is sandwiched between two things as well. Okay, And in this case, it's two meals. The first meal recorded in the Bible is the one where Adam and Eve ate the fruit. That's the first meal of the Bible. And once you see this, we see the consequences of their actions. This was the meal that led to death and sin. This is where the rot set in. It was in this meal that everything started to go wrong. The one where all the disaster and suffering started. It was this meal that necessitated a Messiah and the one that would be woven throughout Scripture. And this Messiah was what Cleopas, Mary and so many others at the time got wrong. So the forbidden fruit was the first meal of the Bible. The broken bread at Emmaus was the first meal of the new creation. God creates the world. Adam and Eve eat the fruit. That's the first meal. Jesus passes into the new creation and the first meal is when Jesus took the bread, blessed it, broke it and gave it to them. And this is when they discover that the curse put in place in Eden has been broken. It's when Jesus breaks bread, gives it to them. That's when they see it's Jesus. He's come back from the dead. The curse has been broken. Their eyes are opened and they see this. The resurrected Christ is the sign of the new world. He's not like Jairus's daughter. He's not like Lazarus who would one day face death again. Jesus was different. You see, the real slave master that um, Cleopas and his fellow disciple and all the apostles and everyone else um, was, was worried about was not Rome. The Roman Empire was not the real slave master. The real slave master was not a human empire at all. It was death. It was death that had enslaved mankind and had done so ever since we first sinned. Earthly tyrants borrow their power from death to boost their rule, which is why crucifixion was such a symbol of Roman might. It's their ultimate weapon. Disobey us and we will kill you. Tyrants have done this throughout history. The ancient Egyptians had done it generations before. The Romans did it. The Nazis did it. Every evil empire you can think of has always threatened people with death when they disobey them. 
Cleopas and his companion hoped for freedom from the slavery of being part of the Roman Empire, but Jesus was never going to lead them on an exodus to a new land. Because if the Israelites or the Israelites had gone to a new land, there would always be another empire to come. There would always be another group of sinful men and women to mess it all up. Instead, Jesus was leading an exodus from the slavery of death. His victory over death breaks the power of all earthly regimes. When their final weapon is gone, when the sting of death has been taken away, they've got nothing left. But what do we have left? We have Jesus, and we have hope, and we have a way into heaven. So that's the story. It's what the story of the travels on the road to Emmaus is all about. It's the start of this journey. It shows the way we too can have our eyes open and our hearts on fire, and how we too can overcome death and walk with Jesus into the glorious future. What is this way? Hearing Jesus' voice in Scripture. Meeting him in the breaking of bread is this way. Welcome to God's new world. Amen. Amen, Derek. Um, thank you for that and sharing that um, on uh, the Emmaus Road. is uh, an amazing experience for those guys. And you can imagine uh, if you or I were able to share that walk with Jesus um and feel our hearts warmed but our hearts have been warmed by what you've said uh, and we've been challenged 